Hey, welcome to The Road Podcast. Today we wrap up our Christmas series entitled Socks and Underwear, What Nobody Wants But Everybody Needs. Two weeks ago, we looked at the life of Joseph and saw that Joseph got a responsibility he didn't necessarily want. Well, today, Pastor Rick looks at the life of Mary and to see that she got an opportunity that she didn't really want. Join us. Last sermon in our series, uh, Socks and Underwear, What Nobody Wants But Everybody Needs. Uh, last week, we talked about Joseph, and or two weeks ago, about Joseph and uh responsibility was what he didn't want. He became the stepfather to Mary's child, uh, took a woman who looked like she had been involved in an immoral situation as his wife and fulfilled those responsibilities well. Uh, This week, we are looking at the life of Mary and we're talking about opportunity. Look right up here at me. Uh, Crazy thing is, God, God wants to give us opportunities and we don't want them. Or we run from them. Or we're afraid of them. And uh, we're going to look at the life of Mary, and we're going to try to learn some stuff for our own life about what we do when God drops opportunity in our lap. Take your Bibles, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Follow along with me as we read about Mary. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Now, I want to stop there, and you may make a note in your Bible, whatever you're writing on. What God looks at and views as favored is different than what we look at and view as favored. When we get to the end of this message, you're going to look at Mary's life, and you're going to go, I never would have wanted to live that life. Too much, too hard. We've glorified it and glamorized it, but her life was difficult. And yet, God called her favored. Keep reading with me. Get back to my spot here. Where was that? There we go. Verse 29. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, who has, who has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord... May it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. I'm going to give you just a little bit of a long introduction. Then we're going to pray and we're going to look at two truths uh, from Mary's life for our lives. So we got to start with who was Mary? Because in order to understand the magnitude of this opportunity, we got to understand the reality of this individual. Uh, and Mary's life was much different than we think. She was born in a town called Nazareth, a city of about 1,600 people during the reign of an insane, violent king named Herod. Historians will tell you that he had lost his mind. Uh, She lived under Roman rule. Uh, The town was just a dot on the map. John chapter 1 verse 46. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Never mentioned in the Old Testament at all. An insignificant 
meaningless little town was her home. She probably spoke Aramaic, but she was multilingual. She knew Latin from the soldiers who ruled over her. She knew Greek from the traders who traveled through her town. And she knew Hebrew from attending synagogue and listening to the scripture being read. Her life was grinding. She paid three taxes. Her family and all families would have paid three taxes. Tax to the Roman government, a tax to Herod the Great, and the temple tax. So here it is. You're born in poverty. You have no chance to ever get out of poverty. The life was grueling, difficult, hard. Mary would have had features like any Jewish or Palestinian girl of her day. Dark hair, dark eyes. And like most people of the time, she lived with her family. A group of homes, three or four homes built around a courtyard. One room, maybe two rooms at the most. And the entire extended family would live around that courtyard. In the middle of the courtyard, there would be one oven. A cistern. And every animal that they owned to feed their family would have lived in that courtyard with them. That was what life looked like. Long days for Mary. 10, 12-hour days gathering wood, cooking food, cleaning dishes, washing clothes. Long, tedious days. In Palestine at that time, women ordinarily married about the age of 13. So we... Uh, we understand that when the scripture says she was a spouse to Joseph, she was about 13. I want you to look at me and I want you to let it sink in. 13. 13. This was to ensure maximum childbearing years and uh, to ensure virginity. Um, it would be a mistake, though, to think of Mary at 13 as fragile. It's about 90, out, 90 miles from Nazareth. To Bethlehem. So that's a five day journey, right? Most of it would have occurred on foot with a woman who was nine months pregnant. She's going to get to Bethlehem at 13, and there's no place to have a baby other than a barn. Do not make a mistake in looking at her. Again, we've over glamorized. She was 13, but she was not fragile. It's doubtful that she knew how to read or write since most women in that day did not know how to read or write. She was married to Joseph who from all accounts seems to have died before Jesus ever began his public ministry. So get this, she's a widow. She's a widow. Uh, we know that Mary herself lived through the ministry of Jesus. At one time she thought he had lost his mind. She was present at his crucifixion according to John chapter 19. About 50 years of age at that time. Longer than most women of her day lived. Uh, she lived on at least until the early days of the church because she's mentioned in Acts chapter 1 verse 14 being in the upper room and praying with the 11 remaining apostles. So here's what I want you to see. After that, she's never mentioned again. Gone. Gone. But her life looks differently than we probably thought it did. It was hard. It was, she, she lived in poverty. She lived under Roman rule. Her firstborn son was crucified as a criminal. She was a widow. Nobody would ever look at her life and go, yeah, that's the life I want. I want to be accused of immorality. Live under that shadow my whole life. Nobody wants that life. And yet God looked at her and said, you are highly favored. Because I have an opportunity for you. It's going to blow your mind. 
And that's what we're going to talk about. The incredible opportunities God brings to life. Would you pray with me? And then we're going to look at these two truths. Father, thank you for the time you have given us and what you have already done today. Father, I'll say it again. You have been so, so good to us. We are grateful. Thank you. Speak to us now. We want something for our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we learn about the call of God and the opportunity of God is when it comes to our lives, it will shake up our normal. So one of the reasons we don't like the opportunity and the call that God places on our life is because it shakes up what we would call our box, our plan, our normal. So let me show you how this looks. I need just a little bit of interaction with you. How many people here every day have the same thing for breakfast? Would you raise your hand up? Come on, got to be honest. You have the same. There you go. Yeah. How many of you lie? Good. Let's try that one. No. Right. So, so every day, there are a lot of people who eat the same thing for breakfast. This will get a lot more. How many of you drive the same route to work every day? Yeah, lots and lots of people. Go to bed at the same time every night. Few people, few people. Okay. So here's what I want you to see. You go to the cabinet, maybe you're eating your Cheerios for breakfast and the Cheerio box is empty. When life doesn't line up according to your plan, what happens to you? Oh yeah, you're mad. You're already frustrated, right? When there's construction and you can't drive the way you want to drive to work, you get all frustrated. This is a bad day construction on my way to work because I had to change directions, right? Or why, watch, you don't get to go to bed when you want to go to bed, right? And the wheels fly off. We love our routine. And watch me, watch me. You're going to follow God. He's going to mess your routine up. He's going to mess your routine up. When God calls, it's always outside of our box. It is always outside of our box. And I don't know how often you think about your plan for life. You may go, well, I don't have a plan, but you do have a plan. Maybe if I called it picture, maybe that would make more sense to you. You have a picture in your brain for what you think life's going to be like. You look at your marriage and you go, this is my picture of marriage, right? You look at your kids. This is my picture of kids. You look at your retirement. This is my picture for how, and your picture is your plan. Now, if you've been married any time at all, I got a question for you. Did it turn out like you pictured it turning out? Not really. Right? Your kids, if you've got adult kids, they turn out like you pictured them turning out. Right? Retirement, especially in today's world, did that turn out the way you pictured it? Because here's what happens. There's disease. Right, and, and here's the reality. Listen to me. This will help you down the road. Nothing ever turns out the way we planned. Nothing, and yet we love our plans. We love our box. I want you to think about the plans that were made by the people in that nativity story that were turned upside down because God dropped opportunity in life. Mary had a plan. Right, a 13-year-old girl in our world would be writing in her diary, Right? I'm going to get married. I'm going to have two kids, maybe three, right? The house is all pictured out in that diary. She had a plan. She had a picture of what she thought life would look like. And I'm going to tell you what it didn't include. Being accused of immorality. Living under that shadow the whole, your whole life. Having your firstborn crucified as a criminal by the Roman government. Not exactly what she had planned. But in it was God's opportunity. 
Think about the shepherds, right? They're out there, they're doing their thing all day long. Finally, those stupid sheep go to sleep and you can sit around the fire, have a few laughs with your buddies, eat some food, and get some sleep. And just about the time you doze off, the sky burst open and a multitude of angels appear singing, glory to God in the highest and on the earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Well, you planned to sleep that night, but God interrupted your plan with the opportunity to be the first people to visit baby Jesus. Ever think about those wise men? Historians that tell us that they were more than likely from Persia, a thousand miles from Bethlehem, right? Four-month journey. What do you think they were doing when they saw that star? Just stop for a second. Right there at home, they're sitting around the dinner table. This guy, you're married to this guy. And he looks out the window and goes, there's a star. I got to go. <laughs> for four months. Where's your husband? Chasing stars. All right? So wait, wait. What were they doing before God interrupted their plan? Not exactly what they had planned in their life for their life. So here's what I'd tell you, because you go, oh, Brother Rick, you're against plans. I'm not. Make a plan. Make a great plan, right? I just realized most of our plans don't work out the way we pictured them. And here's, here's the kicker. This is what all this comes down to. Understand most of our plans don't work out. And when God comes to your life with an opportunity, don't miss it because you've fallen in love with your plan. You love to box more than you love the opportunity to be a part of something God's doing. Are you with me? Don't fall in love with your box. Number two, people often miss God's opportunity because they feel the timing isn't right. So again, be a 13-year-old girl for just a second and this angel shows up and you've got your plan for life and he comes and he tells you you're going to be pregnant and you don't understand how you can be pregnant because you haven't even had your first date yet, right? And, and you're all confused by all of this and you would want to go, time out! You chose the wrong person! This only makes sense if you had chosen an older woman who had some life experience under her belt. I want to live a little bit, God, and you're cramping my style with what you're asking me to do. Your timing's bad, God. Your timing's bad. Not now, maybe later, maybe down the road. Start thinking about your own life, right? Maybe later, God. Maybe down the road, God my own life. I was in the last semester of finishing up a degree in electronic technology. I'm having my quiet time. I'm laying on my bed. I can still picture the scene. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I just, man, just in God's word and pray? Well, why am I doing this? And just as clear as a bell, God said, you're going into ministry. And also just as clear as a bell, I said, no, I am not. <laughs> I closed my Bible said not happening and here was my reasoning right follow me if this is what you wanted me to do you should have told me before I got this degree I am lined up with a great job I'm a month from graduation and you want to change courses on me your timing's bad you missed it now who really missed it watch it me because God was calling me to what I would love doing I was too stupid to know it. And so I fought it for two years. And you know what I lost? I lost two years of my life doing what I really love. Because timing, from my perspective, was bad.
Third thing, sometimes God's opportunities look like burdens. Um, if you're a 13-year-old girl and you're going to be told that you're going to have a baby and everybody's going to think that you have committed an act of morality, immorality worthy of death, that pretty much looks like a burden, not a blessing. If you're Moses and you killed a guy with your bare hands and you spent 40 years of your life hiding in the furthest part of the wilderness from Pharaoh so you wouldn't die and God shows up and says, I got a job for you. I want you to go back to Egypt. And you'd raise your hand and go, excuse me, God. They, I'm, I'm wanted for murder there. Maybe you didn't know that. Doesn't look like a blessing. Looks like a burden to me. If you're Ruth, the Moabite, and you just happen to marry a Jewish guy. By the way, for those of you who don't know, a Moabite was cursed. Cursed from ever entering the temple for ten generations. Right? It would be her great, 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 great grandchildren before they ever got to go worship God. But she married a Jew, moved away. He dies before they can have any kids. Mother-in-law says, I'm going home. She goes, I got nothing else to do. I'll go with you. They go back to the Jewish people. And God doesn't... By the way, that looks like a burden. A huge burden. This does not look like a blessing, God. But you backtrack through that and you look at Mary and you go, Mary, what you look like, what looked to you like a burden became a blessing. You gave birth to the Son of God. Moses, if you ask a Jewish person today who was the greatest leader of the Jewish people to ever live, it's Moses. What about Ruth, that Moabite, couldn't worship in the temple for 10 generations? Well, she's the great-grandma of a guy you know as David. The greatest king in all of Israel who put her in the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself. What looks like a burden to us often becomes a blessing. And I love this one. Hopefully this will minister to some of you guys you don't often, you don't always see the end of what God calls you to do. Um, especially if you're getting near the end of life, this may be true. Um, God called Moses to lead these people into the, to the promised land. Right. And so Moses spends 40 years doing it and gets right to the edge of the promised land. And God says, you're not going in. You're not going to get to see the end of what I've called you to do. I need you to grasp that because some of you are living that. Some of you will never see the end of what God has called you to do. If you look at, um, in Daniel chapter 12, Daniel, if you've never read the book, I don't recommend it, by the way. It's really hard to understand. But he sees all these crazy visions of things that just, he, he doesn't know what they are, and he's trying to explain. He's writing. God says, write down. He's writing. He's writing. He's writing. He's writing. He's writing. He's writing. Gets to the end of the book, Daniel chapter 12, verses 8 and 9. Daniel looks at God and he goes, hey, by the way, God, all that stuff you had me write down, can you just kind of tell me what it means? And God says this to him, and I find this so interesting. He said, go thy way. These are not for you to contemplate. So here's what, it, here's what God said to him. You did what I wanted you to do when you wrote them down. You don't have to know why I asked you to do it. Right? So Mary, get to Mary. This is the one that will get you. Mary has this promise, Savior of the world, right? She gives birth. At one point, she thinks he's lost his mind. 
crucified as a criminal by the Roman government. She watches him die. She still hasn't seen it happen. She's going to live 99.9% of her life and never understand what her, what's happening with her son. She gets a glimpse, a sliver, one paragraph in one page of a novel that she doesn't understand where she knows he's resurrected from the dead and she dies. Never seeing the full picture of salvation in his life. When you answer the call of God, you understand that God is doing something bigger than you in this world. Something that is timeless and eternal. And you're playing just a very, very small part of the whole which you can't even see. We live by faith, not by sight. So that brings us down to this conclusion. What are you going to do when God lays this opportunity in front of you? And if you study scripture, basically find that people have three responses to the opportunity of God. When God lays an opportunity out there, uh, we respond in one of three ways. Number one, first one is I can't do this. This, this was uh, Mary, uh, initial response. She panicked. I'm 13. I'm a virgin. Uh, this can't even be possible. And uh, often when God brings an opportunity, it's so big and it's so overwhelming that we can't comprehend how God could do what he's asking us to be a part of. It was Gideon. Uh, God uh, wants him to redeem his people, get them out, out of captivity. And Gideon says, look, I'm, in the, I'm from the least tribe, and I'm the least person in the least tribe. And this is what he's saying in very simple terms. You picked a coward. I'm a coward. A lot of better choices out there, God. You chose the wrong guy. Moses, burning bush, excuse after excuse. You chose the wrong guy. I can't talk. They're not going to recognize me. Excuse after excuse after excuse. So excuses will always be there. God's opportunity will not. I think of the book of Esther. Where Mordecai said to Esther. Um, what do you think the chances are you've been born for a moment just like this? It's you. But then he says this. But if you don't take it. God will find somebody who wants it. Excuses will always be there. God's opportunity will not. Second response. I don't want to, and I need you to really listen to this one, because this is where I get to be your pastor. Okay? I can't do this is often the coward's way of saying I won't do this. You just don't have it in you to look at God and say I won't do it, so you say I can't. It's the coward's way out. But there are people in Scripture who said, I won't do it. Right? Samson said, I won't do it. God, I love my desires more than I love your will, and I just won't do it. I, li I like these women, and I want to pursue that over you. Jonah? Jonah who said, I'll die rather than do what you want me to do. Feed me to the fish. I'd rather die than go tell those people about Jesus. And I'm going to challenge you on something. Find somebody who looked at God and said, I won't do this, and ask them, was it worth it? Find Samson when they blinded his eyes and he's pushing that meal, grinding that grain, and ask him, was it worth it, Samson, to say no to God? Find Jonah when he's been belched up on a beach. Was it worth it to say no to God? Third, third response 
is I'm willing to do this. That's Isaiah when he says to God, here am I, send me. That's Mary when she, she had a moment to just let all this settle in on her life. And she said, man, I'm the bond slave of God. As you have spoken, so may it be for my life. And all that gets wrapped up in this final statement. When God calls, it is not courage, strength, talent, or ability that he's looking for. It's submission. Here it is. God is just looking for someone who will say, yes. 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 Would you bow your heads with me and listen to this? Just listen carefully. If you're online, we've got an online pastor who will be glad to engage with you. But the invitation today is pretty simple. Um, what in your life does God want you to say yes to today? What in your life does God want you to say yes to? And... Um, Maybe it's the decision to follow Jesus. Maybe you've been struggling with that. You've been putting it off. God's been calling you. He's been whispering your name. And you just have not said yes. And maybe what he wants from you today is a yes. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe you follow but you've never been baptized. And it's time for you to say yes. Maybe your family, man, you've been coming and you've been sitting in a chair, but you've never really engaged with the spiritual family that is this church. And today God is asking you, say yes. Well, what, is it, what does he want you to say yes to? This one's a little tougher. You know, the one thing we all have in, pro- in, in common is we got problems in our families. I, I don't know anybody that everybody gets along with. And this time of year, all that comes to the surface. Is it possible that God would be calling you to heal that? And he wants you to say yes. Is there an issue of obedience? And man, you've been living outside the will of God for a while. And what God wants from you is a yes. Generosity. Man, our hands hold tightly the things of this world. Is God looking to you for a yes when it comes to generosity? I don't, I don't know what God may have said to you today. Um, he's a big God and capable of saying lots of things. I know this, when he speaks, what he wants from us is a yes. Victor will be here today. I will be here today. We'd love to pray with you. Sometimes this is a hard season for people. We're your church family. We would love to pray with you about that. Father, thank you for the time you've given us today. We look forward again to what you're going to do. Father, to how you're going to move, to what you're going to say to us. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining us at The Road. If you'd like more information about things going on at Choctaw Road Baptist Church, visit us at theroad.tv or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash theroadcrbc. Have a great week.